Insights, solutions, and networking all come together at RSA Conference. Join a global cybersecurity community at rsaconference.com forward slash ITSP MAG24. Either we are there or not, ITSP Magazine still gets the best stories. There are plenty of conferences and all sorts of events that spark our curiosity and allow us to start conversations with some of the world's brightest minds. In person or virtually, we sit down with them at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Together, we discover what the synergy of these three elements means for the future of humanity. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Hello, everybody. This is Sean Martin, and you're very welcome to a new episode of Redefining Cybersecurity here on the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network, where I get to talk about uh, all things cyber in business. And uh, I really like to focus on how to operationalize different things, uh, not just to play with cool tech, but to actually help the business protect itself and and the revenue that it generates, hopefully. And uh, today's conversation, we're going to be looking at browser isolation, browser security, and it's driven by uh, a session at Sector in Canada, part of the, uh, they actually want me to say it's part of the Black Hat <laughs> group of sessions, uh, events, but then that's how I know it anyway. And uh, there's a lot of cool topics. I picked a few of them to uh to discuss this is one of them and i'm thrilled to have jenny on uh today to help us understand a little bit more what what browser security browser isolation is and how it fits into security programs um jenny you've had uh, a long history in this space um maybe a few words about about you your role at herzbeck group and uh, other things you're up to uh, that led you to this particular session so first of all, thank you for inviting me to speak here today. Very pleasure to be here and talk about it. And I'm very happy that you're covering conferences in Toronto. I am a local Torontonian, so I live in Canada. We have several different conferences, but I do believe that Black Hat used to be sector is one of the bigger ones in cyber in Toronto. And I've been around for some time as well. I've been 17 years in Toronto. I used to live in Israel and work in a company called Checkpoint. This is where I started my cybersecurity career as a QA firewall analyst. Before Checkpoint, I spent five years in the Navy, where I learned a lot about IT, network, Linux, and quite a lot of basic things that right now I still believe are fundamental to become a very good cybersecurity professional person. When I moved to Canada, I moved as a Checkpoint engineer, and I used to run around to installing Checkpoint firewalls. I moved up on the ranks, manage several teams in professional services, in network security, endpoint security, the initialization of cloud, SIM as well. And when you run and when you manage people in different spheres, you have to fix a lot of problems. Even with the firewalls, you always get blamed because the firewall, you probably guys change something, the firewall doesn't work, it's all you guys. So I end up learning quite a lot about other systems. And when I started to manage the endpoint security team and the, and the same team and network and IPSs, I ended up learning quite a lot about different, different technologies. 
And it moved me to architecture. I realized I like to connect the dots. I like to understand the bigger picture. And with my basic learning of how fundamental stuff work, it actually connected really well because I could able to talk about the overall design and able to go down to bytes and bits to explain the customer why they need to go this direction or this direction, for example. And uh, I am a geek. I like technology and I like it to learn new things and adapt. And as part of cyber and how fast we are moving, you have to adapt and learn. So it served me well to always learning and always finding new things. I also spent a lot of time on the human aspect to do pre-sales work for MSSPs and VARs and learn how it is to communicate with the customer. And I always used to tell the engineers and professional services that you cannot spend a week with a customer deploying firewall or antivirus and don't talk to them. You have to communicate with them. And if you become their friend, if you're actually going to be interested in what they do, then they will become your friend and they will be interested in what you do. And guess what? It's actually a win-win situation. You will have a pleasant week. They're going to have a pleasant week. You will have a good implementation. They will want to learn. They will not bug you so much when you're done because they like you now. So it's, it's very, very good. And I learned more and more about this human connection and a bit became fascinated about the human connection to later on opening my own podcast with a friend and my own channel as well and talking a lot about soft skills and how to better connect to people. And also, I'm a second-time immigrant. I moved from USSR to Israel, then to Canada. So English is a third language. And as immigrants, everywhere we have accent. I used to speak really fast. Not everybody always able to understand what I'm saying. So by having this better connection with these people, I think it's part of very important communication we have right now. I love it, Evgenian. And it's uh, it's interesting the uh, the the overlap in uh, in career trajectory that we have. Uh, I too QA engineering, and I'm I'm a geek, and I like to look at stories. I mean, the, you you can't do quality assurance without understanding the human end of things, right? The the human story, and tell those stories in a way that you're going to uncover where the flaws or the gaps are. And, and obviously with QA, you're looking to find those and plug, plug the I gaps. I think once you're QA engineer, you're always QA engineer because you always exactly. find to, to find flows. And it's like, <laughs> stop, stop. You're not here to find problems. Just use the product. That's right. I, I also like to build, which is, uh, which is, which is fun in itself. And, and I find that sometimes I forget the QA part. <laughs> It's just too fun to build. But anyway, we're not here to talk about me. We're here to talk about uh, browser isolation. And um, and then eventually I want to come back to your uh, your podcast yeah. as well to talk about those because I think those are cool. But wh why this topic at, at Sector? Why now? This is interesting because browser isolation, and we'll explain what it is, not everything. Yes, I still want people to come to, to, come to the session is part of network security in my mind. Why? Because I'm browsing and I'm packets are moving to the internet. And why right now is because for the last five years, we have so much digital transformation. We had so much movement to the internet, to SaaS applications, just because it needed to happen. And of course, because of COVID, 
people realize they cannot go and reboot a server in the middle of the COVID. And they also realize that I'm very, very big um, kind of believer in this, that people need to focus on what the business does. So if your business does pizza, go and focus on pizza making and and don't focus on how the oven or the smart oven is working for you. Let somebody else figure out this part. You want to make good pizza. So by moving stuff to SaaS, by moving stuff to the cloud, we more and more touching the browser every day. We less have applications, just fat applications on our on our devices, thick applications, I used to call them as well, and we just use the browser. So the more we use the browser, the more in the browser, this could be, if you can say, a chalk point for us to provide security and provide the controls there. But there's a history. There's a long history how we came there. We definitely started a secure web gateway. So secure web gateway, the people that have been around probably remember companies like WebSense changed the name to Forcepoint. Blue Code, one of the one of probably the biggest ones that did a lot of work in security of web gateway, and then of course moved to Semantic and Broadcom. I'm not going to talk about Broadcom right now, but there's a lot of history there from security perspective but also i guess privacy because you're all filtering one of the big the starts of the of uh, secure gateway and proxies started with i think it was around 2006 2004 when the u.s government basically wanted to make sure kids and students in schools are learning and not going to a website where they're not supposed to go during the school like pornography and weapons and gambling. This is where it started, but then it quickly adopted for malware, bad websites, spam, and we can talk about this for a long time. So if we take there from the secure web gateway and move it slowly up, we realize we can do better. Interestingly enough, Chrome runs on Chromium, and Chromium had a change in 2008, I believe, when they introduced the idea that every tab Will have a different process running in the memory so now have separation between the top isolation between the top and during this time where the first isolation company started rbi remote browser isolation Manlo was one fireglass was the second one when you basically can browse still through the proxy so still the mini like like a mini secure web gateway but you're going to have a browser on the other side between you and the internet when you're basically going to render everything. And to simplify the stuff, you're going to get HTML file, almost like a recording of where you're going. So if you went to a website that, that serves malware, nothing will get to you because everything pretty much going to be like video recording. And I'm simplifying the stuff right now. So this is the beginning of remote browser isolation with some of the issues uh, of usability. And later on, there was companies that tried to do the same on the endpoint, but they needed a lot of horsepower as well. And we'll talk about this about the, on the session as well, where we move all the way to the point when we knew the browser is the main focal point, And we realized the laptops are quite powerful as well. So why not to apply the security right on the browser? Nothing remote right on the browser. And it can be done. Now we call it enterprise browser as well. I call it secure browser, enterprise browser, depends how you want to look on this. Where I can do URL filtering, when I can do stop malware, when I can even control the extensions you have in the browser locally on your browser. And I can do it with giving you 
that's different browser, that's called on Chromium, or I can do it with the extension that you can deploy inside your browser that will do the same. And every solution that we're speaking about it has pros and cons. It's just the nature of life. We never have something perfect. But this is a very, I, very I high. I can pause you because I, I know there are a lot of apps now that are essentially a, a desktop shell with a with a browser interface. <laughs> so there, so I don't know how that changes the not just the apps, picture. our our our, our mobile devices. Yeah. So how does that? How does that change the picture you just described? So this is actually not going to change the picture for the apps yet. Okay. Because still, uh, still an yeah, app, really. okay. yeah, still an app. We're basically saying I can give you an extension to the browser you're using right now, or I can give you a browser that you're going to install. This thing going to install Word and Outlook, and you're going to use this browser. Now you may say, hey, but Evgeny, like, why would I use this browser? Like, who going to force me? And yes, there's a way to force you. We can use MDM, Mobile Device Management, or this is the interesting part. I can create dependencies. So let's say I want to hire Sean, and I think this is one of the very interesting and the easiest cases to use such technology right now. I want to hire Sean to do some work on my database in my company. And I know I can provide you access to the browser. In the past, I may need to give you an IPsec VPN, OSSL VPN, give you certificates, give you missing things, or depending on my size of the company, I may even ship you a laptop. Sean, here's the laptop. This is the only laptop you can do. So I'm going to spend 500,000, 2,000, whatever the laptop people buy right now. In this case, I may tell you, Sean, go to this URL, download this browser, and I'm going to create a dependency that you can only use this browser to connect to my application to do the work. Now we'll know this. So even if I know your credentials and I have your MFA somehow, if I don't have the browser, I'm not able to do the work. So I'm creating another dependencies. And this is what I like. I don't want to go to talk about zero trust right now. I think it's a very popular topic, but I'm supporting the zero trust architectural framework. I'm not saying I'm the zero trust framework, but I'm supporting the idea that I know it's Sean. I know when Sean log in to the point that if Sean wants to download a file, I say, no, 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 Sean, if you download the file, it has to be encrypted. You're not going to get all the information you work on. Take it with you when you've done your work. So I love this. So let's let's talk about, I'm going to come back to the, the management and operations in a minute. Let's talk about that user experience a little more. Um, and what are some of the policies that organizations can apply. You just described one in terms of well, you two, right? Access mm -hmm. or not, and and downloading files or not. But talk to me about the the user experience there. What what can we control? What can we enable? What can we enforce? What can we protect them from? I'm assuming there there's a protection against uh, malicious code and, and yeah, yeah, all the OWASP top yeah. X and stuff. So. Again, we can talk about all the three, you know, the the, brow the remote browser isolation that probably right now mainly will be applied on top of your secure web gateway, that probably right now will be SASE or OCC platform, and going to be basically a sliver of your platform. And the best use case in my mind, and I think majority of the vendors agree with this as well, is when you go to unknown websites 
on antagorized websites, we're going to enable the isolation part to make sure you're safe and nothing comes to you. So this is going to be the main use case there. With enterprise browsers, the extension, then it's going to be a bit different because now you're basically applying everything here and you don't have in many cases to use the secure gateway for this part. So I can tell which website you can or cannot visit, like Facebook, for example, or other, other sites. I can definitely scan for malware. I can understand URLs. I can control DLP, what you're uploading there as well, not just downloading. It's going to be depend if I'm a contractor or I'm working for the company. It's going to be a bit different use cases. I can create dependencies when you log in to use AWS or when you log in to Google or how do you work there. I can, in some cases, have a watermark on the page. But if you take a screenshot, we'll know it's you because it's going to be, it's going to be there as well. So it's coming very close to have a very similar controls to the traditional secure web gateway. And in some cases, it has functionality of remote VPN as well to the company right now. And I would imagine that uh, as with most things where you, you're installing something new that's security focused uh, performance is <laughs> still, still an issue, right? Um, so this is and, and there's always point. an exception, the exception yeah. to the rules too. So this I'm is thinking productivity. Point. Go ahead. Yes. The companies that started with the browser, because if I put an extension, that shouldn't be a lot of pressure. It's still doing some work, but people say, oh, you're going to have a dedicated browser. It's probably going to be heavy. So they claim, again, I'm not a vendor. I'm not creating this. I use some of them, which look okay, but I didn't really measure the performance with CPU measurement and memory, they say they actually remove a lot of things that Chrome have right now. Because Chrome has statistics, Chrome has other things to understand user performance for themselves. They remove all this stuff, similar to the manner when we used to buy Windows, and people still do this actually, and they remove unnecessary service services or disable unnecessary services, especially on servers, because they don't need them to have a better performance. So the same claim comes here. So because they remove whatever not needed, the browser is running faster. And presumably safer, right? To, yes. To reduce exposure and, and yeah. therefore risk, I would imagine. So there's a couple of points that are important here. And I think the extension one is quite interesting one. Yeah. Because right now, yeah, you can install any extension you want. And we know there were use cases where you extend, let's say you install an extension that show you the weather. Like, oh, great, you know, show me the weather. But then five days after, you start collecting everything you're basically going in the browsers. You don't know about that. So with such options, and I'm almost telling a lot of stuff I'm going to talk on the session, so I don't know if I should do. <laughs> no, no, we want people to listen there. You can tease us, though, for sure. Yeah. I can say, no, 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 your extensions that show weather, that's it. You're not allowed to capture any, any other information. No keystrokes, nothing. So I have more granular control there as well. Oh, just the fact that whatever you download, it can be encrypted or not encrypted is also very powerful. There's a lot of small things that you can do with the browser and become much more creative on the part. If it's silver bullet, no, because you still need to People use it, you, need, you still have several licenses, and maybe 
people like Firefox. You're like, no, 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 you're not using Firefox anymore. You're using this browser right now. But I love Firefox, oh, but I'm using Linux, you know? So there is always going to be some things that will not work as you expected, but we expect it from pretty much anything in cybersecurity and vendor community. Yeah, always the exceptions. And I'll, I'll let your audience at Sector ask that question. <laughs> you, can share, you can share your thoughts on the exceptions. I want to get into, you touched on a little bit, kind of the infrastructure that exists pre browser enterprise browser and then post enterprise browser so how does this change and i'll kind of wrap it in one share as much as you want keep some for for the session uh, as you like but how does this change the program security program overall how does it change team structure and what they focus on uh, other tech stack processes so i'm thinking things like vulnerability management, if it eliminates a lot of stuff, if you're pushing stuff through the browser instead of thick apps, or um, it changes the way you define policies, which are more slim and consistent. Um, thinking out loud here, but a, a couple examples of impacts uh, that people should be aware of. So first of all, think about this. We're talking about a category or domain that literally didn't exist four years ago. Maybe five, I need to do double check. but. Yes, we had RBI before. We had extensions that were kind of going to check the URLs, but that's it. But the entire market is so, so fresh. And why I'm saying this, I don't think everybody still understands how to use it and what to do with it. And similar to SASE and SSE, Secure Access Service Edge, that is relatively new as well, I feel there's going to be a bit of a transformation there and some of the vendors are going to be acquired. Actually, we already have one vendor, Talon, is being acquired by Palo Alto. I don't think it's the deal is finalized, but at least LinkedIn tell us that they're planning to do this. We don't know for sure if it's going to happen, but probably. So going to be some changes there. And why I'm saying this because we are still not fully sure how it's going to change the entire dynamic in the company. What I'm thinking definitely going to change and i'm big supporters there is you're going to change the dynamic and the policies how you interact with third party contractors or temporary worker because now i can definitely say okay here's the browser this this is how you work with me and i feel less concerned about my data protection how you access from where you access and if you're accessing internally if this fully going to replace my secure web gateway or it's going to augment my secure web gateway, we're not fully there. There are some use cases, and I think for a small, medium companies, it may be easy way to go to actually use this technology and not buying secure web gateway, because if you don't have one, it will still not change how we do vulnerability management, or it will still require us to have an EDR and EPP endpoint solutions on our devices. And it is primarily technology for users. It's mean, it's not a technology that's gonna protect my data center or my database, just to, under, to explain. It's a corporate security for corporate users that work in a company or people that need to do work for this company outside of the company. Love it. It's a great, uh, great picture. You mentioned the market a couple of times. Um, 
not necessarily looking for names, but uh, kind of what, paint a picture of what this space looked like. You said around four or five years. I remember there wasn't a market yet, but I remember banks hiring companies to build special browsers that they would deliver to their banking customers so that they could securely bank <laughs> with them. So basically one of these isolated sec mm -hmm. secure browsers. That was maybe, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago. So the, the concept isn't new. The market is relatively new, and I don't know which analyst kind of put it on the map <laughs> as, as a category. But kind of paint, become an analyst now and paint the picture of, of what this space looks like and, and what people can expect to see when they start to poke around and look fair, over. Fair. Talking about the past, I think we didn't mention important part is like citrus, citrix. Uh, you know, course. people yeah. still have Citrix to remotely connect and do work. And uh, as great as Citrix as it is, I think everybody you ask, it was like, yeah, it's slow. Yes, it's it's a pain. Yes, it's not as a user friendly. It's not as just doing my work at home. So this is this part as well that, that exists. If I can paint a picture, it's an interesting picture. Because if we take to the account for the last seven years we have more and more encrypted traffic basically much we're talking about 98 percent of internet is encrypted when you browse https versus http it's mean is a bit harder or much harder to inspect the traffic in line with firewalls and secure web gateways and if you're familiar with the idea of pin certificates for example where you cannot actually open the traffic it creates another problem there and where i'm going with this I'm kind of pushing the the idea of controls and inspection to the endpoint before it gets encrypted on the browser itself. So I believe it's a supporting idea for the extensions and the enterprise browsers to do the inspection before the traffic gets encrypted right there. And it become a very complicated control with defense in depth with EDRs and endpoints. So my personal view, if I were an analyst, and I'm not sure exactly if Palo Alto is an endpoint company or it's a network company because they're buying one of the first one, but I predict or I will predict that you will able to see endpoint solutions have their isolation as part of their technology. Now we had companies like this. We had Bromium in the past, acquired by HP. But they were too early and it wasn't user friendly. And they tried to isolate and virtualize everything pretty much. It didn't really work well for them. But if I take the browser technology, enterprise browser, or the extension technology and pair it with EDR technology, then I have a much fuller stack for my endpoint. So this is one of the predictions I see. I also see it may change the SASE and SSE space. Because if I can do URL filtering and DLP on a browser, where is my use cases for SASE and SSE? There are still use cases, but how are we going to use them? Yes. I love it. And yeah, there's no question we're seeing a ton of convergence. Uh, I was just on with the, we just published the, uh, the conversation with uh, Ali Mellon from Forrester talking about this, the SIM space and the Splunk acquisition and kind of that consolidation where there's Again, endpoints, XDR combining with SIM and SOAR. And so there's convergence all and up, up and down, up and down the stack. And 
clearly this one touches the, the network as well. So super, super interesting. Um, your session, Jenny, is Browser Security Isolation 101. It's on Wednesday, the 25th of October at Sector. And uh, I, mean, I can talk to you for hours about this, and I'm sure we can have a, a ton more uh, use cases and scenarios, and I can poke at you, and you, you respond with some really cool stuff. I'm going to let the audience do that with you in Toronto. Thank you. And uh, Toronto, right? Yeah. 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 Sector, of course. And, 10 a.m. Uh, right after the keynote. So. Yeah. Perfect. Just right over there. And uh, you're very welcome back to... Uh, have a follow-up conversation with, on this topic and perhaps share some share some insights after you've spoken and, and heard heard from the audience there and gotten the feedback. Um, before we wrap, though, I want to give you a chance. You, you do two podcasts. I don't know if they're combined under one umbrella, but talk to me a little bit about what you're doing there and, and some of the stories you're sharing. Definitely, okay. definitely. So the first podcast, Acute Architecture, that you see uh, uh, near me, is something me and Dimitri Reidman started three years ago and the idea was i basically saw and i was still in hardware group that we will sell a solution to a customer i'll come back six months after and it's a shelf work you know they deployed some and everything's still on the shelf I'm like wtf why it's happening and i thought again 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 and like why so the idea we'll start a podcast we'll do a season on a topic and our first season was security web gateway and we'll create questions that are related to architecture because I'm a fundamental architect and Dimitri is a CTO of the company when we're basically a developer. So we'll combine our views and we're going to go to every vendor, not every, but majority of the vendors in a space and ask them the same questions. So it will become an RFI request for information for customers that want to buy a solution. And it will be very interesting because each of these vendors will have to provide the same answers, sorry, the same questions, answers to the questions. So it was very, very interesting. The first season was one hour. We realized one hour is too long. So we cut it to half an hour for season two. And season two, we went with the SASE SSE approach and covers ZTNA, the uh, Zero Trust Network Access, or 15 vendors there. Very, very interesting. I was very surprised to learn later on that some of the vendors included our material as part of onboarding. When people on board to the set to, to the companies, they need to watch the episode to understand how stuff works. Like, okay, we're <laughs> doing great. something right. Yeah. And uh, later on, learned that people actually watching the episodes when they need to choose the solutions. So, like, okay, we're going to watch the meeting of Vienna, how they ask, what the answers, and it will give us better tools to ask vendor the questions that they may not want to answer. So, this was great as well. So, the same time, like we did four seasons right now, we start a new season about cloud security synup. But some vendors ask us, hey, I want to be on a show. Like, uh, I don't know what to do with you. I don't have a season for you. So we did a couple of what we call Launchpad. When we just cover a vendor, we'll create topics for this vendor particularly, and we answer this question. So we're a bit unique because I don't think anybody wake up and like, oh, I want to learn and understand how this works. That it's basically you going to the podcast and looking for information when you actually need to solve this problem. So it's very, very interesting. Unfortunately, as you know, in our industry, people don't stay in right comments. When you meet people, the people, oh, I watch you and tell, but like, okay, I didn't know this happening. So this is the security architecture. It's very, very technical, very design oriented to connect the dots, 
between marketing, architecture, and design. When I left Horjuve Group last year, I decided to start a different podcast called Cyber Inspiration, and it's now part of security architecture. And it's I started videos like 20 episodes ago, so now there's videos there as well. People don't want to watch. And the idea was, and still is, understand the human aspect of the founder. Like, who are you? I want to buy this solution. But are you a good human person? What motivated you to start this company? How do you actually raise the money? So it's a business podcast, human-oriented podcast as well, with a bit of a touch of technology. We really don't talk about what the company does beside like a minute with the introduction. But the, it has to be a founder, by the way. And they need to talk about when they come up with the idea, what they did later on, for example, who did they talk to? How did you realize the people going to buy this solution? How did you raise money? How did they hire people? How did they build a culture? Now, how does it work with stress? How does it work with tasks? How does it black days look like? How they come back from a stress black days? So it's a very different segment and a very different paint of, on people. And uh, it's interesting. I enjoy the conversation. And I think it's a must. If you want to start a company, go listen to these people. I pick up so much that I didn't think about it. There's so many, many good, 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 good tips from different people. Lessons learned through others. <laughs> yes. And I did a, yeah, I did a marathon in April. I interviewed seven, not marathon, probably sprint. I interviewed seven of the RSA finalists, RSA conference finalists for the sandbox. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. And then, of course, one of them won. But it was very interesting to understand their stories, fresh companies, relatively new companies as well. I love it. Yeah, and I find... Uh, Having those conversations, uh, we get to have some with vendors as well. Kind of to your point earlier of staying up to date on everything. I mean, there's so much change, so much uh, innovation. Um, staying connected to the community and the vendors and the, and the practitioners and the security leaders keeps, at least for me, keeps my brain fresh with some of the latest stuff going on. Um, I can't always dig as deep as I'd like. <laughs> so I don't, yeah. feed the, uh, I don't feed the the pure geek in me as much as maybe I, I'd like to, but uh, I have a nice broad view of a lot of things going on. I, I think that's in, important uh, in this space for sure. It is time consuming. And yeah, this yeah. is not my main job. My main job, I, I doing consulting right now to FARs, MSSPs and some vendors. So it's happy to connect to cool people and learn what they do as well to figure out if there's a synergy between us. Perfect. Well, Jenny, it's been uh, it's been great chatting with you. I'm, I'm glad we finally got to meet after all this time. Who knows where we were hanging out and hiding out from each other. But uh, here we are. We made it. And I, I suspect we'll connect again on another episode. I have a feeling in the meantime, as well. In the meantime, uh, Wednesday, October 25th, and 15 Sector in Toronto, Black Hat Events, led by Informa. Go check it out. Connect with Jenny there and uh, learn about browser isolation. Dig deeper than uh, we did today. But I appreciate you sharing what you did today. And, and uh, my, my main objective is to get people to learn and think. I'm sure we did that today. So thanks a million. Thank you, everyone. And uh, be sure to check the show notes. Uh, we'll, we'll connect you to Jenny there and any resources he thinks are uh, 
useful for this conversation. Of course, the link to the session. I just lost my video, but uh, I'm going to keep talking. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Be sure to share, subscribe, and uh, we'll catch you on the next one. We hope you enjoyed this episode of our On Location Conversation. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share ITSBmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Insights, solutions, and networking all come together at RSA Conference. Join a global cybersecurity community at rsaconference.com forward slash ITSP MAG 24.